resources that's posted on our website. It says, on the Christian calendar, Lent, which simply comes from a Latin word meaning spring, uh, is the 40 days plus Sundays beginning on Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and leading up to Easter Sunday. Lent is a season of preparation and repentance during which we anticipate the death on Good Friday and the resurrection on Easter Sunday of Jesus. It's this very preparation and repentance aimed at grasping the intense significance of the crucifixion that gives us a deep and powerful longing for the resurrection and the joy of Easter. The journey of Lent, they write, is to immerse ourselves in this grand story so that it might increase our appreciation of Easter and love for Jesus. May we mourn the darkness in our hearts and rejoice in the light of God who came into the world to save us. That's a good summary of what this season's about. You may wonder why we take time to engage this season at North Wake, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but perhaps the heart of Lent is found in the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read those for you. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So during Lent, we embrace practices and pursuits that help us be grounded in following Jesus, right? As Hebrews puts it, laying aside our sin and looking to Jesus. And historically, this is a season marked by three things. Um, prayer, especially repentance, fasting, and almsgiving, it's traditionally called. That just means caring for your neighbors who are in need, caring for the poor. And for those of you who are part of our Gen 12 giving, just sacrificial giving to bless our neighbors in part, you set aside some funds called neighbor-to-neighbor monies that that you're just got in your pocket to give to your neighbor, this season could be a beautiful opportunity for you to do that. But if you're new to, to the practice of Lent in your pursuit of Christ, um, a couple years ago on 2-21-21, if you can remember that, 2-21-21, you can go on our website and listen to a sermon that explained Lent more fully and fasting more fully than I'm going to have a chance to uh, this morning. So that resource is available. There's also posted a number of Lent resources on our website. Just type in in the search bar, Lent resources page. Um, a lot of great daily and family devotionals during this season to help you get ready for the celebration of the cross and the resurrection. And if you've never done one before during this time, I would highly recommend the fourth one on the list called The Journey to the Cross. When you click on it, it'll pull up that really dark cover. There's another resource by Paul Tripp, the first resource, which has the same title. I'm sure it's excellent, but if you've never dipped your toe into Lent, this one might be a good starting place. Um, I found it profitable when I've used it in the past. But to guide us through this season on Sunday mornings, we're going to be prayerfully and reflectively looking at the Ten Commandments. And so what we want to do today is kind of just get the Ten Commandments back on our radar and welcome them over this season of Lent as God's good word for us. So today will be kind of an overview, an introduction to this really beautiful and important passage of Scripture. 
and I'd like to pray for us as we, as we jump into that together. So would you bow with me? Lord, would you be kind to us now? By your spirit, through your word, ready our hearts to receive the, the power and the beauty of these 10 words um, in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy for our own souls in the weeks that are ahead. Even today, God, free us from our sin that we might live in the fullness of joy and honor you. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. So in Murphy, North Carolina, you can see him from outer space. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Um, there is, it's kind of hard to see on that. Oh, you can see it pretty good up there. Uh, 300 foot wide, some 650 steps up to the top, five foot tall letters. Uh, the fields of the wood boast the world's largest display of the Ten Commandments. Um, but in spite of the efforts of the good people of the Church of God of Prophecy in Murphy, North Carolina, who built this exhibit, gosh, over 50 years ago now, almost 70 years, I think, Americans know these days little or almost nothing about the Ten Commandments. It's like totally off our radar as Americans. Um, some of you remember when Jay Leno used to host The Tonight Show, and he would go out on the streets of New York and do kind of man-on-the-street interviews. And one of those times, he collared some young people to ask some questions about the Bible, and he asked two college-age women this question, can you name one, one of the Ten Commandments? To which one of them replied, freedom of speech? Um, so, so how many could you name? This morning, this is not a test or a quiz, but how well do you know these beautiful commands given to us by our God? Um, they, there's a survey done by Kelton Research, um, and what they found was that Americans recalled the seven ingredients of a Big Mac uh, more easily than the Bible's Ten Commandments. So, um, barely a third of the respondents, 34%, could recall the commandment to keep the Sabbath, but 60. 2% knew the Big Mac had a pickle, right? Um, but beyond just the unfamiliarity that's all around us in our culture, there's actual hostility to the Ten Commandments. Um, there was a comedian, he's, he's passed away. His name is George Carlin, a pretty dark guy. And he uh, said this about the Ten Commandments. He says, okay, right off the bat, first three commandments, Sabbath day, Lord's name, strange gods, Spooky language, he says. Spooky language designed to scare and control primitive people. In no way does superstitious mumbo-jumbo like this apply to the lives of intelligent, civilized humans in the 21st century. That's what he thought of it. Um, and then you add to that, in the back of our mind, there's some puzzling verses in the New Testament that give us pause, right? Um, like Galatians 5, if you're led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. And it's the idea that how, how do we relate to the commands of God in the Old Testament then? And you can end up in all of these kind of swirling things swirling around us. You can end up thinking, uh, do the Ten Commandments even matter anymore? Are they even relevant uh, to our lives these days? And uh, I'd like to address that this morning. I mean, I'll tip my hand, right? We're doing a series on them. So we think they're pretty relevant for us. But there's a pastor, a wonderful pastor long ago named J.C. Ryle, and this is what he said about the commandments. He says, let us not suppose for a moment that it is set aside by the gospel or that Christians have nothing to do with it. 
The law of the Ten Commandments is God's eternal measure of right and wrong. By it is the knowledge of sin. By it, the Spirit shows men their need of Christ and drives them to Him. To it, Christ refers His people as their rule and guide for holy living. In its right place, it's just as important as the glorious gospel. It cannot save us. We cannot be justified by it. But never, never let us despise it. So let me let you just listen to the Ten Commandments in their fullness read to us this morning from Exodus chapter 20. Ron? Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's good word for us. So this is God's good word for us. Let me spend a bit of time showing you how, some ways how it is good for us. Let me give you a quick summary first. Here's a bullet point summary of the Ten Commandments. No other gods, no idols, don't misuse God's name, keep the Sabbath holy, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, okay? There's a quick, a quick summary. We'll be walking through those slowly over the next five weeks during the season of Lent, looking at about two or so a week. Now, while most Bible teachers today acknowledge that the law of Moses 
is in fact not binding upon the Christian in the same way that it was upon Israel in the promised land in the Old Testament, I want you to know that every single article and commentary that I read and studied in preparation for this, and I read a lot, I read a bunch, right? Every single one um, asserts just as vigorously that the Ten Commandments do have direct and beautiful application to our lives today as God's good word for us. And it's part because they seem to occupy a really unique place in the scriptures. Um, Many have felt that the commandments especially occupy a unique place in the laws of Moses. For instance, it's been observed that the entire outline of the middle 12 chapters or so of the book of Deuteronomy are all shaped in their structure by the Ten Commandments. Um, The Ten Commandments are also repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. Professor Mark Lederbach in his ethics class at Southeastern points out that these are not new ideas in the Ten Commandments that are being presented to Moses on Mount Sinai for the first time in the book of Exodus. All these concepts existed before the giving of the law. And he says that in Numbers 33, there was the ten plagues that came as punishment for idolatry in the nation of Egypt. Um, The first and second commandments. In Exodus 3, God reveals his name, the third commandment. And on and on, uh, Mark goes through all ten of the commandments and shows how, in concept, they were all presented even before um, the law of Moses, the law was given on Mount Sinai. So there's a kind of transcendent quality to these commands that keeps us from banishing them just as relevant to the nation of Israel in the promised land a long time ago. Martin Luther was a big fan of the Ten Commandments. You're going to find that out in the weeks ahead as Carson uses a structure that Luther used to teach us how to pray through the Ten Commandments. But I'll, I'll give you a couple quotes today. He says, this much is certain. Those who know the Ten Commandments perfectly know the entire Scriptures and in all affairs and circumstances are able to counsel, help, comfort, judge, and make decisions in both spiritual and temporal matters. So as we try to sort out the relevance and value of the Ten Commandments for us today, another really simple question to ask is, do you find them repeated in the New Testament? And the good news is, is yeah, yeah, you do. All ten of them are reiterated in the New Testament. Nine of them come to us as commands, and that one about Sabbath is a little nuanced. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks when we look at the Sabbath command. But... People have seen the shape of the Ten Commandments behind Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The commands show up again in Paul's letters, especially in the moral exhortations of 1 Corinthians. Um, So the Ten Commandments matter for us in our day as we find them peppered throughout the New Testament on a number of occasions. Um, These commandments seem to be rooted in the eternal, unchanging character of of God, and they form a kind of inescapable moral law in our hearts. That's why they shape the uh, laws of so many nations. Um, there's a writer named Dorothy Sayers, and she was writing about God's moral laws, like the Ten Commandments. And she pointed out that in our society, there are two kinds of laws there's the law of the stop sign, and there's the law of the fire. She explains it this way. She says, the law of the stop sign is a law that says traffic is heavy on a certain street, and as a result, the police department or city council decides to erect a stop sign. 
They also decide that if you run that stop sign, it will cost you 25 or 30 or $35. It's an old article, okay? It's gonna cost you a lot more if you run a stop sign these days. Don't run a stop sign, okay? If the traffic changes, they can up the ante. That is, if there are too many people running the stop sign, they can double the fine. Or if they build a highway around the city, they can take down the stop sign or reduce the penalty. The police department or the city council controls the law of the stop sign. But she says there's also the law of the fire. And the law of the fire says that if you put your hand in the fire, you'll get burned. Okay. Now imagine, she says, that of all the legislators, if all the legislatures of all the nations of the entire world gathered in one great assembly and they voted unanimously that from here on out, fire would no longer burn. The first man or woman who left the assembly put his, his or her hand in the fire would discover that the law of the fire is different than the law of the stop sign. Bound up in the nature of the fire itself is the penalty for abusing it. Dorothy Sayers says that the moral law of God is like the law of the fire. You never break God's laws. You just break yourself on them, she says. So the Ten Commandments matter to us because of the unique place they offer in the Scriptures, both old and new, and their transcendent nature that's rooted in the character of God Himself. And because they're anchored in who God is, um, they reveal God to us. Every command teaches us something about the commander. Um, for instance, um, the second commandment teaches us that God is a jealous God. Look, look at Exodus 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So he is jealous, but he is jealous for, not jealous of. And by that I mean he's not jealous of what somebody else has, like a child who's jealous of another child's marbles, right? God's not like that. He's jealous primarily for two things. He's jealous for his people, um, and he's jealous for his name. First, he, he's jealous for his people. Zechariah records this, the prophet. He says, the angel who talked to me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Those are symbols of God's people. Um, in this sense, God is like a husband who is jealous for his bride. Pity the man who tries to woo her away from him, right? He's also jealous for his name. Isaiah says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. That's what his jealousy looks like. Ezekiel puts it this way, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. So he is protective of that which has the greatest value to him, his own name, his reputation, his character, and his people. This is a virtuous jealousy. Imagine it'd be like if God were not jealous for us or for his name. That, that would mean he'd be tacitly endorsing or at least tolerating the worship of false gods uh, that are evil and destructive for his own people. 
It'd be contrary to his nature of love. Jealousy of this kind is much closer to love than we think it is. So there's a second thing I'll point out today about God and the commandments. As I mentioned, they all teach us something. But the second thing is that he really loves our neighbors. He really does. Um, the entire second half, half of the commandment is given to their protection, their life, their property, their marriages, their trust. It's explicit in the ninth and 10th commandments. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Neighbor, 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 right? God is really concerned about your neighbors. Um, he forbids their murder, theft of their stuff, sleeping with their spouse. He even forbids thinking about it. Why? Because love cannot coexist with covetous desire, and God really does love your neighbors. He's concerned that you convey that love to them by the way that you care for them. The Ten Commandments matter to us because they reveal the heart and character of God to us. So if you want to know what God is like, get that Dwell app off our website, put it on repeat, and put in Exodus 20, 1 through 17, and listen to the Ten Commandments for the next 40 days through the season of Lent, and you'll learn some things about God. These commandments show God to us. He's a jealous God. He's jealous for his name, and he's jealous for us. And he loves your neighbor, right? And the Ten Commandments also matter to us because they're good for us, right? It's good for us to follow these commandments. They show us God's good ways for us. Um, throughout Scripture, this is how God's commands are viewed. They're his kindness to his people, um, Christopher Wright wrote, the Ten Commandments were given to a people who were just three months previously had been groaning in political, economic, social, and spiritual bondage in Egypt. So this is, this is written three months after they were slaves in Egypt. And he says, think how they would have viewed these commands in Egypt they were subject to numerous gods and idols, to a pharaoh who claimed divinity and rejected that of Yahweh, and now they're protected from that folly. In Egypt, they were enslaved, working ceaselessly. Now they're protected from that kind of enslavement or from falling prey to inflicting it on the poor. In Egypt, they were subjected to genocide as all their infant boys were slaughtered, and now they're protected from all unlawful killing. In Egypt, they were economically exploited, and now all such lying and injustice are prohibited them. These commands restrain us from sin and guide us into a life blessed by God. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. It, it's, about it's a tribute to the goodness of God's laws in the life of those of us who follow them. Listen to the first few verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. So if you want to live a life blessed by God, then keep his commandments. That's the life that he loves to bless. That's a repeated teaching in Deuteronomy, right? Just a handful of chapters after the Ten Commandments occur in the book of Deuteronomy, we read, 
I am setting before you, Moses says today, a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. So to disobey God's commandments is to turn and follow other gods. So these, these commands are intended to bring the full blessing of God onto our lives. But they're also intended to show us where we fall short right? and how much we need grace. Because who among us would say, I have kept these commandments perfectly all of my days, perfectly? Especially after Jesus strengthens them and makes them about our hearts. Who would say that? Who would say, I've kept them flawlessly for a year, you know? Maybe a, even a month? If, if truth, if we really knew our hearts, a day? Um, as one guy put it, I know a fellow who's as broke as the Ten Commandments. That's broke. That's like really broke, right? Um, so these commandments point out our need for a Savior, um, Christ, his work on the cross, bearing our sin, the violations of God's laws that we have committed. There's a pastor named Ray Fowler, um, and he writes and says that the law was not given to remedy our sin, but to reveal our sin and point us to our need for a Savior. And he quotes John Calvin, who says, Thus the law <clears throat> excuse me, is a kind of mirror. As in a mirror we discover any stains upon our face, so in the law we behold first our impotence, and then in consequence of it our iniquity, and finally the curse as the consequence of both. Fowler continues and says, a mirror has the power to show you that you're dirty, but it has no power to clean you up. And so the law leaves you hanging, helpless, in need of a Savior. He says, sometimes I ask people this question. If you died today and stood before God and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? He says, I get all sorts of answers to that question, but far and away the most common answer is this. I would say I've been a good person. I've gone to church. I've kept the Ten Commandments. And then he says, and listen closely to this, no, no, a thousand times no. That is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Galatians helps us here in the New Testament. It says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Paul writes. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Fowler says, did you hear that? No one is justified by God by observing the law. Observing the law will not gain you acceptance before God. The law is not designed to be an entrance exam into heaven. Okay? These good commands are meant not to save us, but to point us to the Savior we need, Jesus the Christ. Right? And so in these and many, many other ways, the Ten Commandments matter to us today. They're good for us. They show us who God is. They restrain us from evil. They guide us into God's good ways. They show us our sin so that we run to Christ for mercy. And they also show us the shape of love. 
Um, you know, Jesus made this, the definitive statement on the priority of love in a conversation he had with a lawyer in Mark 12. One of the scribes came up to Jesus, heard them disputing, and uh, a scribe is a lawyer, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. <clears throat> the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so with these two inseparable greatest commandments, Jesus is actually summarizing the Ten Commandments. Love to God and love for neighbor. The first four commandments are mostly about how we love God. And the, the fourth commandment, the Sabbath, tips us towards love of neighbor. And those last six commandments then um, address the love of of neighbor. Um, these 10 words kind of contain the shape of God's love for us and through us. His love is exclusive, jealous for us, protecting us from false gods. His, his love guards our families, relationships between parents and children and husbands and wives. His love guards our hearts and minds, warning us of the dangers of our thought lives that lead us to desire that which is not for us. His love leads us into a life that's shaped by these commandments. Um, theologian J.I. Packer put it simply. He said, God's love gave us the law just as his love gave us the gospel. Right? Can you imagine a culture without these laws? It'd be anarchy, right? It'd be hell on earth. The more we live by these 10 words, the more we walk in his love for us, and the more we love him back. Second John says, this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Martin Luther, who really loved the Ten Commandments, by the way, um, said this. He said, thus we have in the Ten Commandments a summary of divine instruction telling us what we have to do to make our whole life pleasing to God so that no work or anything can be good and pleasing to God, however great and costly in the eyes of the world, unless it is in keeping with the Ten Commandments. So how do we love God back? By keeping His commands, His good commands, loving Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, having no other gods, no idols, loving our neighbors as ourselves, refraining from harming them or their marriages or their stuff, and instead looking out for their good. So, let's go back where we started, Murphy, North Carolina, right? Actually, I had someone come up afterwards who's been out to see this. This is a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, they highly recommend it to you. Um, and as I mentioned, they say that you can see the Ten Commandments from space out there, but that, which is pretty impressive. But your neighbors can't see them. For that, they're looking at you. As, as, as you live out a life marked by an exclusive love for God and a generous love for neighbor, they see the commands that point to the commander. Are the commandments on display in your neighborhood, in your life? You know, in the weeks ahead, one of the things we'll be asking you to pray and ask as we teach through these commandments is, is there one of these that God would bring to your mind that is being tarnished by your sin. And in this wonderful season of Lent, 
would you repent of it and be free? Moses in Deuteronomy 5 summoned all Israel, all God's people, and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Now, in some Christian traditions, the commandments are read aloud as a prelude to a time of confession. And so I'd like us to do that today, to read them aloud together as a way to make our hearts ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper as we close our service. Um, And the Lord's Supper at North Wake is open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus who's walking in fellowship with him. So if that describes you, you are welcome to join us in this celebration today. We use the center aisle and the wall aisles to approach the table and receive the elements there. Um, If you would like someone to bring the elements to you, if you will hold up your worship guide, one of our uh, greeters will come by and serve you in that way. They'd be glad, glad to do that. So you can just hold your worship guide up once we start serving and they'll bring it to you. Um, So if you would, let's stand together and let's recite all 10 of the commandments together as we prepare to approach uh, the Lord's Supper together. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's good word for us. Thanks be to God. So let me invite you now. Um, You can make your way to the table to receive the elements and then hold them as you return to your seats. And we'll be taking all together then once everyone has been served. 
Um, we're going to sing as we approach the table today, and the worship team's going to lead us. So you're welcome to be seated until you make your way to the table, or you're welcome to stand. Let's worship Christ even as we approach the table today.